Well, good morning. As we continue our look at the Sabbath debate, uh, today we're going to look at the first occurrence of the word Sabbath in the scripture. Uh, you may be surprised to find that uh, the word Sabbath does not appear in the book of Genesis at all. It first shows up in Exodus chapter 16, which is also kind of surprising. It's not the place that most of us go to when we start to think about the Sabbath. Uh, but today we're going to look at it because it sets up everything else that we need to understand in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant about the Sabbath. So we're going to pick up in uh, Exodus chapter 16. When we get to the end of the book of Genesis, the nation of Israel is 70 people in total. And at the end there of Genesis, we find that Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, is basically the second in command over all of Egypt. And Pharaoh loves him and the nation loves him. And God used Joseph to preserve Israel and Egypt from starvation during the famine and all of that. When we turn the page from Genesis to Exodus, 400 years have passed and Israel has grown from 70 people to a huge number, hundreds of thousands, some would estimate a couple of million or so, and they are treated as slaves. This Pharaoh, hundreds of years later, uh, is not favorable to the Jews. He's treating them harshly and he uh, becomes a little threatened by their size, and so he increases the oppression against them, and uh, they finally cry out to God for deliverance. God sends Moses to lead them out, and you know these stories. If you grew up in the church, if you've read the Old Testament, you know these stories. God brings the ten plagues on Egypt, the, the blood, the water turning to blood, the frogs, the, the flies, all of that, and culminating in the big one, where God sends the angel of death through the entire nation and kills the firstborn sons of everybody, up to Pharaoh, down to the animals. The firstborn are, are, are killed. And remember, this is where the Passover begins. Uh, where God says, if you will kill a lamb and put its blood on your doorposts, then the angel of death will pass over those households. And the Israelites obeyed God. They put the blood over their doorposts and the Israelites were spared. Then the Israelites fled and they came to the Red Sea. Pharaoh had driven them out, but now he changed his mind. He follows them. And God, again, shows his power by separating the waters of the Red Sea so that the Israelites could march through on dry ground. And then Pharaoh and his men went into the, uh, to the sea and they were killed. Then God led Moses and therefore Israel through the wilderness. And about a month and a half later, we come to this scene in Exodus chapter 16. The Israelites are grumbling. They're complaining. Again, it's only been a month and a half, and they've seen these amazing works of power and deliverance by God, but they're getting hungry. And so they grumble and they complain, and here's what they say. Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, 
For you, Moses and Aaron, have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Isn't that astounding? <laughs> Doesn't that show the nature of man? First of all, this, this is just not true. They aren't starving. As you go back and read the Exodus account, God sent the Jews out with great plunder. They were wealthy. They had, they had uh, gold and silver pots given to them by the Egyptians, and they came out with flocks and herds. It's only been a month and a half. They have plenty to eat. They look back, and they were slaves in Egypt. But now they look back, you know, the good old days when we were slaves in Egypt and saying, you just brought us out here, Moses and Aaron, to kill us, to starve us to death here in this wilderness. Do you know people like that? Have you ever been a little bit like that? God pours out his blessing and provision on you and all you can see is what you don't have. All you can see is the negative and you complain and you grumble. We can all be a little bit like this, but the Israelites, uh, this was their constant uh, struggle through their entire history. Lots of grumbling, lots of complaining. Well, so the Lord responds and he's gracious with them. And here's what he says, verse four. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. See, God's going to provide have a bread from heaven. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a miraculous gift to them. And the people shall, shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. See that? God gives them very specific instructions. I will provide bread. The people are to gather not a week's portion, not even two days portion. They're to gather a day's portion every day. Why is God doing this? It's very, very important to our understanding of the biblical teaching on the Sabbath and really the entire covenant relationship that God has with Israel is this phrase right here, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. Do you see that? It's crucial to understand why God is telling them to take a portion of this bread just for today. He is putting them to the test. Will these people obey me or not? I've led them out of Egypt. I've brought them from slavery. I've delivered them. I've saved them in a sense, not eternal salvation, but temporal salvation. I've saved them from Pharaoh, saved them from Egypt, and now I am putting them to the test. I'll provide bread. Will they obey me? Do you see that? This is so important for what he's going to go on and say. Gives us instruction here on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So they are to go out basically Sunday through Thursday and gather one day's portion. And then on Friday, they are to gather two days portion. That's the test. God says, I'll provide for you Sunday through Thursday, one day's portion. On Friday, I will provide two days portion. 
Now, he goes on and explains there's going to be quail coming in the evening to provide meat, and then this bread, what will uh, end up being called manna, uh, in the morning for their uh, for their sustenance, and he's going to do this miraculously for them. So we skip down to verse 16, and we see more of the story unfold here. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, that's the manna, every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. Tent. So you see what's going on here? Uh, whatever this omer is, and we don't know exactly what that measurement is, but an omer per person in the household. That's the daily portion. So go out every day and gather that much of this manna and take it to your family. It says the sons of Israel did so. And some gathered much and some gathered little. <laughs> if you only had a household of two or three, then you gathered you know, two or three omers, you gather just a little bit. If you had a, a large household, household of 15 or 20 or 30, uh, then you gathered a whole lot more. When they measured it with an omer, he who gathered much had no excess. Everyone had exactly how much they needed. He who gathered li- little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. So that was the intent. And God, again, provides this miraculously. And if you measured it out the way he told you to, you would have enough for everyone in your household to be satisfied. Now Moses gives this instruction. Let no man leave any of it until morning. Now remember, what is God doing in providing this manna? He's not simply providing something for them to eat. They had flocks and herds. A a lot of commentators, (coughs) a lot of theologians coming from a systematic theology perspective will focus in on the fact that God loves these people. He's providing for these people because he cares for them. And I'm not denying that there's an element to that. But in the text here, that is not the emphasis. We've got to let the Bible tell us what it means. Let the Bible tell us why God does what he does. Systematic theology causes us to create these presuppositions that we bring to the text. Just like the entire idea of Sabbath rest, you'll, you'll hear teachers say all the time, man needs to rest. We, we will become workaholics if we are not given this day of rest by God. God cares for us, and he wants us to rest, and that's why he gives it to us. Well, again, there may be an element of that that is true, but we don't see that as the reason given here for this Sabbath. God is testing the Jews. Will they obey him or not? And Moses says, You gather a day's portion and you don't leave any of it until the morning. You eat it all. You go get your day's portion and then you eat it that day. It's kind of like if if you've been to an all-you-can-eat buffet and they're trying to get people from being wasteful and and uh, and guard against over you know wasting food and you'll see signs sometimes that say um, take as much as you want, eat all that you take or something like that. Well, in this case, it's not take as much as you want. <laughs> it's take an omer and eat it and eat it all today. Well, did the Israelites pass the test? Verse 20. But they did not listen to Moses 
and some left part of it until morning. And what happened? It bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. It's a simple test. It's a simple command by God. Take an omer, eat it all today. Don't leave any of it until the morning. Some of them didn't eat it all, and it was nasty. It became worm infested. Now, it's important to see the next morning, right? They were to take this daily bread and eat it all. And if they didn't, the very next morning, it became nasty and putrid and foul. See that? Going on. They gathered it by morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But then the sun grew hot and it would melt. Now notice this. Now on the sixth day, on Friday, because they started their day differently than we do, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread. Two omers for each one, each person. Remember all the other days they gathered one omer, here they gathered two. When all the leaders came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow, the seventh day, is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Now, this is the first occurrence of the word Sabbath. It is the noun form of the word that we saw in chapter 2 of Genesis. The verb there was Shabbat, that is, the Lord ceased from working. He did all of his work of creating for six days, and then he ceased working on the seventh day. And if you recall, we talked about how the word doesn't really mean rest. That's not its emphasis. It has been so used as a day of rest in our day that we just assume Sabbath means rest, but that's not the emphasis in the Hebrew. In the verb, the the word means to stop doing something. In this case, it was to stop working. Well, here is the first occurrence of the noun that is translated Sabbath, But I want us to think of it in its original etymology. It is a ceasing more than a rest. And and Moses says, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow, Saturday, is a ceasing. The word observance here is not in the, uh, the original. Tomorrow is a ceasing. It is a ceasing of holiness. It is a holy ceasing to the Lord. Okay. Well, what are they to cease from? They are to cease going out and gathering manna. Look what he says. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. That's the boiling of the quail. And all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. Now you might think, wait, 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 wait a minute. (laughs) Whenever they put aside stuff for the morning up to this point, it would grow nasty, full of worms. And now Moses is saying on the sixth day, take a double portion and save some of it for tomorrow. Well, isn't this going to be nasty? Is it going to be filled with worms? Not on the sixth day. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a ceasing. Today is a Sabbath to the Lord, a ceasing to the Lord. Today you will not find any of it in the field. You can go out on the Sabbath day and look for manna. It won't be there because God's not going to provide manna on the Sabbath. 
Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh, the ceasing day, the Sabbath, there will be none. So did the people obey? Did they follow God's commands? Verse 27, it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Again, do you see the hard heartedness? <coughs> Excuse me, still got my cough here. Do you see the hard heartedness of the Israelites? Grumbling, complaining, looking back to Egypt like, oh, those are the glory days, those are the good old days, at least we had food. God provides for them this miraculous food, quail coming in at night to provide meat, manna, bread in the morning. And all he says is, don't go out to try to gather any food on the seventh day. I will provide a double portion on the sixth day. And what do they do? Seventh day comes, they go out, find their food, and there's nothing. And here is the Lord's response. The Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? It's a simple command. Take a double portion on Friday. Don't go out on Saturday to try to find food. How long will you disobey? Moses says, see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, the ceasing. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people, Shabbat, the people ceased on the seventh day. They got it. The house of Israel named it manna, this bread. And it was like coriander seed, whatever that is, white, and it tastes like wafers with honey. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer full be kept throughout your generations that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer full of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. Uh, so the, as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it in the testimony or before the testimony for it to be kept. This is the uh, Ark of the Covenant eventually. It puts the manna in a jar in the Ark of the Covenant to remind them of God's provision and testing here in the wilderness. And the manna that was put in the Ark of the Covenant never grew rotten. It never became manna infested. All of this is the miraculous work of God. The sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land, until they took the land of Canaan many years later. They ate the manna until they came to the border of Canaan. Now, an omer is a tenth of an ephah. We still don't know exactly what that is. So this was the instruction for Israel a month and a half after they left Egypt before uh, God uh, led them to Sinai. The Sabbath, the ceasing is established right here and now. Now, I stress that because it is easy to miss this and ignore this as we get to the next thing. So again, this is about a month and a half after God led them out of Egypt. Fast forward another month or so, and God leads them to Mount Sinai. And this is where he enters into his covenant with the nation. Okay. So he's going to set up this covenant establishment, much like he established this ceasing day, the Sabbath day with them in chapter 16. Here's what we read in Exodus 19. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel. 
Remember, this is directed not to the whole world. <coughs> this is directed to the Israelites. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He's saying, I'm the one who delivered you from Pharaoh with those plagues and, and those, pow- those expressions of my power. I brought you here to myself. Now then, if, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, he's about to enter into this pact, this agreement, this covenant with Israel. And he says, if you'll obey me, if you'll keep the terms of my covenant, then here's what Israel would receive as, as a response. You shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine. I own everything. I own everybody. I own all the nations. But you will be special to me, Israel. You'll be my own possession. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God says here, if you will keep my covenant, I will make you different from every other nation. You'll be an entire kingdom of priests. Priests ministered before the Lord. They entered the presence of the Lord. They, they offered sacrifices. Your whole nation will be this kingdom of priests. And you'll be special. You'll be unique to me. And you will be set apart different from all the other nations. So then he gives his covenant terms. Okay, so, so this covenant is, God says, here are my commandments, here are my laws, here's what I expect of you, and if you obey them, then you'll have these blessings. If you disobey, then there will be consequences. Well, what are the terms of this covenant relationship? What are the, what are the stipulations that he places on this nation of Israel? It's what we call the Ten Commandments, though the Bible never calls them the Ten Commandments. Think about that. Never are they called the Ten Commandments. They're the Ten Words. The 10 words of God's relationship with Israel. And I stress that because a whole lot of theologians and probably most of you have been taught and assumed that the 10 commandments are God's law for everybody. They are not. Nowhere does the Bible say that the 10 commandments are binding on all nations. He didn't enter into this covenant with the Philistines or the Amorites, or the Canaanites, or the Babylonians, or the United States of America, or Mexicans, or Russians, or Christians. This covenant is with Israel. And what we call the Ten Commandments are the ten words of the covenant God made with Israel. That's very important to get as you read the Old Testament If you read systematic theology first, you're going to come back and read things that are not here. Read the Bible. This is for Israel. So what we call the Ten Commandments, the ten words of this covenant, start in Exodus 20, says this. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And here's his first instruction, his first word for them. You shall have no other gods before me. They're coming out of this idolatrous land of Egypt. And he says to Israel, no, you don't obey the idols. You don't worship other gods. You worship me and me alone. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or earth beneath or water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Israel? If you make 
carved images out of rock and you worship them, you will provoke me to anger. I'm jealous. Don't worship anything else. I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. If you hate me by obeying idols, by serving idols, I will punish you and your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. But I show loving kindness, he says, to thousands, to those who love me and who keep my commandments. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not lead him uh, unpunished who takes his name in vain. And then he says what is germane to our topic, remember the ceasing day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day. Why does he say, remember it? Because he already gave it to them. We just read it in Exodus 16. Right? The command there. Cease from your work of going out to gather manna. Don't do that on the seventh day. And now as he enters into this covenant relationship with them at Mount Sinai, Part of the words that he gives them to, to make the, the, the terms of the covenant, part of that is remember what I instructed you out in the wilderness. Do not gather manna on this seventh day. Remember what I told you to do. God is testing them. Will you obey me or not? If they do, remember he already told them, you will be a special people to me, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And he'll go on and say, if you don't obey me, I will punish you severely. Well, he's already said it here, right? I will visit your sins upon you in the third and fourth generations. And part of those words is remembering what he already told them. Don't gather manna on the seventh day. Now, they're going to enter in, they're here and they're about to enter in the promised land, or at least that's what we think is going to happen. We know the story, they end up disobeying and we'll get to that in a moment, but they think they're about to enter the promised land. Well, when they do and they settle down in Canaan, God's going to stop providing manna. So then they're going to do work for their food. He's been providing the quail. He's been providing the manna, but when they get into the promised land, God's going to stop providing that for them, and they're going to have to work for their food. This commandment, this this instruction as part of the covenant is, remember that seventh day, that ceasing day, keep it holy, and here's what he wants of them. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, all the, the work you need to do to eat, to provide food. But the seventh is a ceasing day. It's a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, your cattle, your sojourner who stays with you, nobody in your household. (laughs) It is kind of funny here. He doesn't include his wife in this. Uh, She's not supposed to work either. I just find that interesting uh, because she's uh, maybe the one tempted to do more work. I don't know. Anyway, you see how this is the whole household. You, your, your children, your servants, even your animals, they are not to work. You're not to go out and plow the field with your animals. None of your servants are to do the work 
that provides food on the Sabbath day, on the, on the ceasing day. Now, you remember yesterday, we looked at the seventh day as God blessed it and sanctified it. He created the, the world in six days, and then it says he, he, he stopped, he ceased, he used the verb form of the Shabbat. He ceased from his work on the seventh day. And it says he blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it. And we talked about how there is nothing about man there at all. He does not instruct man. He does not command man. It's not man's ceasing. It's God's ceasing. It's not man's resting. It's God's resting. And God didn't bless and sanctify man. He blessed and sanctified the seventh day. There's nothing about man whatsoever in Genesis 2 and the day of, of ceasing on the seventh day. So we ask the question, why does God do it? What does it mean that he blessed the seventh day? What does it mean that he sanctified it? Well, yesterday we, we sort of gave away the story. We went to the end of the story. We talked about how we understand through the whole trajectory of, of Scripture that the ultimate reason why God sanctified the seventh day was to foreshadow the rest that we have in Christ. The, the ceasing from our trying to do good works in order to merit God's blessing. That we rest in Christ, we believe the gospel, and we have rest for our souls. It was all pointing to Jesus. He is the ultimate fulfillment of the Sabbath, just like he's the ultimate fulfillment of everything. It's all about Jesus. But we said the second thing that the, the, the blessing of that seventh day was for was to prepare for God's Sabbath for Israel. And that's what we see here in the giving of the Ten Commandments. Moses now reminds them as he tells them not to work on the seventh day. He says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and ceased, this is, uh, I'm sorry, this is the word rested, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So he set it apart, he blessed the seventh day, and now he's telling you Israelites, stop your labors Anything that has to do with bringing in food, providing food for your family, stop doing that on the seventh day, just like God ceased from his work on the seventh day. Now, when we think big picture of the Sabbath, we need to make sure this is clear in our mind. God is not giving the Sabbath day to any other nation, but to Israel alone. Now, quickly, as we wrap up <coughs> today, uh, the Israelites were supposed to head into the, to the promised land here and now. Well, if you remember the story, they sent in spies to scout out the Canaan's land, and the spies came back with a report that these people are big and powerful and strong, and, and 10 of the spies said, we can't go in there, uh, they will defeat us. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, 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 we, we can take them, God's with us. Well, the people rebelled and they refused to go in and God was furious with their unbelief and their lack of trust in him. So he sent them out into the wilderness for another 40 years wandering around. And he said, no one who's of fighting age in that generation will make it in the promised land. And he judged them and, and waited until that whole generation died off. Then 40 years later, he brought the next generation to the promised land and said, now go in 
and take the take Canaan's land as I promised you. And this time they did go in. Well, before uh, Joshua led them into the promised land, before Moses dies and he dies, he doesn't get to enter the promised land. Moses in Deuteronomy gives the uh, this new generation, the next generation who's about to take the promised land, he reviews the covenant terms with this new generation because they were too young to to hear all of this. And they, they had vague memories of being delivered from Egypt, but again, they were young. So now they're adults, they're about to enter the promised land, and God is rem- God through Moses reminds them of the terms of the covenant. And he gives them the command of the Sabbath again here in in Deuteronomy 5. And Moses now says, not remember the Sabbath because this generation wouldn't remember uh, the giving of the Sabbath in Exodus 16. They were young. But now he's saying, "This this is now part of what we're to do. Observe the ceasing day. Observe the Sabbath day as the Lord your God commanded you. Keep it holy. Set it apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now, I want to remind you, those of you who've been taught that we're to keep a Sabbath day, who's the you here? It's Israel. It's not you, Christian. There's nothing here about you, Christian. You Jews, you shall labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh is a ceasing day. It's a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any cattle or the sojourner who stays with you so that your male servant and your female servant may rest with you. And now look what he says. It's not about remembering God's command in Exodus 16. He says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. This was their heritage. This is what God rescued them from. And the Lord your God brought you out there of there with a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day, the ceasing day. So now God is reminding, or Moses is reminding them of what God had done. He had delivered them from slavery and now he is still continuing to put them to the test and saying, part of this relationship that you are going to have going into the promised land is, do not do your work on the Sabbath day. Now, there is one more very important, in fact, it may be the most crucial purpose of this Sabbath day that we will see on Monday if you come back and join us there. Uh, good morning, Dale and Curtis and Jenny. Glad you all could join us. Uh, if you all have any questions or comments, feel free to leave them in the uh, comments section and on this video. Uh, if you're on Facebook, I'll see them. Uh, YouTube, I'll see them. And I'll be happy to either interact with them uh, in the comments sections or maybe come back and answer it next week. Or, uh, as I've said, we may do a Q&A at the end of this whole series and I can uh, answer them then. So feel free to, uh, to put those there. But our time is up. Uh, Grace and peace to you in the Lord Jesus. Have a great weekend, and Lord willing, we will see you back here on Monday. God bless.